I'm Darius McDermott from Fund Calibre, and this is the Investing on the Go podcast. Today, we are delighted to be joined by Richard Woolner, who is a, a veteran and legendary fixed income manager, actually runs three elite rated product, which is the M&G Corporate Bond, M&G Strategic Corporate Bond, and the M&G Optimal Income Fund. Richard, good morning, and thank you so much for making time for us today. Hello. So look... Who knew bonds could be this interesting? And here we are. Um, it's been a busy few months in the worlds of bonds. What have you been doing in the portfolio at that time? Have you made lots of changes because of that dramatic spike in yields? Uh, it is quite um, interesting when 10-year gilt yields and 30-year gilt yields are appearing on the national news, uh, obviously intertwined with uh, the political issues and the budget and uh, their effects on the economy. Uh, and it makes sense them to be there. There's been a dramatic move in interest rates uh, that has been in response to the dramatic increase in inflation that we've had. Yeah. And uh, as a value investor, uh, when uh, the markets become distorted or they become more lively, then it results in us thinking, is it appropriate to take some kind of action? And so it's been quite an active year from us, uh, basically on the back of uh, those big moves in interest rates. Interest rates have increased substantially, mm. which means that you're getting paid more for lending than you were before. The opposite of uh, a typical man on the street who uh, obviously has a mortgage, they have to pay more to borrow. Well, the flip side of that is that uh, if you're a lender, you get paid more, it becomes more interesting to lend and becomes less interesting to borrow. Yeah. So. We get lots of acronyms in our industry, and one of the ones I think which you've been quoted as saying is we've gone from Tina to Tia. Um, what the hell do we mean by that? <laughs> well, there is no, there was no alternative if you wanted to have an income and the bank account was zero and guilt yields was so zero. So Tina is there is no alternative. There is no alternative. So that was the argument to say, well, equities are good value because the alternative is so bad value it's a relatively good thing to have. And that's what you have to do as an asset allocator. You have to work out what, you know, whether an individual or, or, or fund manager, you know, is it more attractive to own, let's say, cash, equity, property? And then obviously you work through which kind of equity, which kind of property, which kind of bonds do you want to own? Uh, and that's always a relative game. Um, uh, it's not an absolute game. Uh, because it is always an alternative. You have a, a smorgasbord of, of things to look at. Uh, and uh, the, the, the... The new acronym. A new acronym. <laughs> but the, the, food, the, the, the opportunity set in bonds was very low because yields are very low. It's very hard to get negative yields. Therefore, upside was limited in the, in the asset class. But obviously, you can get yields returned to where they were before, which happened, which means you have downside. Uh, now, obviously, it's a bit more balanced now. You know, interest rates can go down as well as up, whereas in the past it was very hard for them to fall. And you get paid while you wait. Uh, before you weren't getting paid anything while you were waiting to see what happened next. You now receive income in bonds and corporate bonds and higher bonds. That, uh, so TIA being there is an actual alternative. There is a, an actual alternative. And, and bonds being that answer across the bonds are one of them. You might still prefer other asset classes, but you now have to have, take a more balanced view and say, well, actually, that argument for why we don't own bonds and own other asset classes, is less strong, there is an alternative uh, to uh, how you look at uh, managing uh, your monies and what kind of asset allocation you have. Uh, historically, 
uh, bonds are looking more attractive than they were, obviously, at a time of zero rates. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't agree with you more. You know, holding in a, a government bond yielding a half isn't really a recompense, whereas now I'm getting three and a half, four. I, I, and, and when your skill set with credit comes in, you can actually get five, six and seven to hold a, an asset which should pull to par and mature at, at, at 100, given its maturity date. Yeah, so the bonds have a set maturity date. Um, sometimes that's very near and they're less volatile instruments. Sometimes that can be very a long time away. Uh, and therefore, you know, as interest rates move, they, they move a lot more. Just think of it as a bit like a mortgage. If you're locked into your mortgage for three months at a set rate and rates move or go right or wrong, it doesn't really affect you. But if you've got a lot to the mortgage for five years at a low rate or to a higher rate, then obviously that economic decision is actually translates into a, a very profitable or a very unprofitable decision. Yep. The same happens with the bond markets. Uh, another bond market has a lot more term in it, so it's not a question of, let's say, the mortgage market is you know, two years on average, some five, the occasional 10. Uh, we can actually go out to 30 years, and, and when we want to have that long-term income stream, uh, we will take those risks on board, and when we want to avoid it, we'll avoid it and, and not take those risks within the mandates that we have. Great. So just one question which points directly at optimal income. The optimal income is a strategic bond fund, but one of the differentiators that you put in place at outset was the ability to have up to 10% in equities. Given what you've said about bonds now being a genuine alternative, what have you done with your equity weight in, say, the last couple of years? And how do you view that in the, in, in the year ahead, 2023? Um, it's, we're looking at the optimal income stream um, and the, uh, the guidelines allow us to go up to 20% in equity. Is it 20? Right, OK. 20, yeah. um, 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 but it's a non-index bet for us. Oh, non-index view. What we think is that Every asset's value is a function of its income stream. Uh, we, the optimal income stream is about getting the highest number. It's yeah. about trying to get the best risk reward given the alternatives that we can invest in, investment grade, government bonds, high yield and cash. Sometimes the most attractive income stream isn't in the bond, it's in the equity. To the dividend. It's the dividend or the earnings. Right. Uh, where that dividend is realised now or it's a future dividend that will pay out. And so if the equity part of the capital structure is very good value versus the bond part of the capital structure, we'd want to own that because that's a way of really expressing your view about owning an asset that's very long dated because we really like it. Well, that's an equity because it hasn't got a maturity date. And also, obviously, you're at the lower end of the capital structure, i.e. the risky part of the capital structure, the bottom part of the, of the, of the company's Capital, which means you're obviously a lot more volatile. When things go wrong, it's a lot more painful. Yeah. When things go right, it's a lot more rewarding. And the other thing about equity is that people are very comfortable with the idea of high-yield bond funds and high-yield being in a portfolio like this. But you tend to find that equity is highly more correlated to high-yield than high-yield is correlated to government bonds. Yeah. Because high-yield has got many equity risk characteristics, it's the bottom part of the capital structure. Uh, uh, you know, things go wrong, they have high default rates. If things go right, you get paid well while you wait. You get more income. <coughs> so I think that's one of the reasons that uh, that we use uh, these bonds, you know, use equities in the fund. At the moment, it's very low. Uh, the highest it was was in 2012-13 when the equity market was very good value versus the bond market. 
Now, historically, the equity market is not as good value investor bond market, and therefore it's a very low holding we have. It says less companies exhibiting this capital structure arbitrage. So last time we spoke in February, you talked about a 12 to 18 month lag from interest rate policy mm. into the real economy. Mm. Um, where do you think we are? And does that still seem an appropriate time frame for these rising of interest rates to slow down the real economy? Yeah, I think historically um, it's been observable, whether it be in the UK, US, Europe, elsewhere in the world. And the inflation we have now is a function of the very loose monetary policy we had 12, 18 months ago. Yeah. In response to what's going on uh, with public health and COVID. Um, and what we have now is Bank of England starting putting rates up in the autumn to December of last year, 2021. And it'll take a while for it to feed through, which is why unemployment is still near record lows. That's uh, why inflation is still high. Things work, the lag labor market is sticky, the housing market is sticky. It takes a while for things to happen. The bank have tightened policy aggressively and continue to do so, we think. Uh, you know, they're also doing something in that they're doing quantitative tightening. And what that basically means is that destroying money, they reduce the amount of money in the economy. Why does that matter? Just think of it as uh, uh, um, so the more supply of something, the cheaper it is. The less supply, the more valuable it is. Uh, and obviously, if they print lots of money, which they have done in two batches, one post-GFC over a multiple year, mm. and again in COVID in, in very short order, a big, yeah. big chunk of printing. Yeah, and I think there is, they did it both times. The first time you didn't get inflation, you might ask why. I think that was they were just filling the hole from the previous excess consumption in the banking system. So they printed the money to bail out the banking system uh, in, in the GFC. This time they were printing the money to bail out us. Yes. Uh, and then we get the money and we go spend it. Uh, so, uh, no, that supply has been enormous uh, and that has caused, you know, tends to cause inflation. Look around the world, the countries that printed the most money tend to have the highest inflation. Uh, the countries that printed the least money tend to have the least inflation. And they're only doing that. They started to destroy, not just in the UK, but obviously worldwide in Europe, US. They're all changing them. They all had a very synchronized monetary policy of very low rates and printing money. And they're now all tightening. And it should uh, you know, result in a slowing of the economy uh, and a slowing of inflation. Uh, and if you were to be very sort of traditional monetarist, uh, you'd argue actually that the destroying of the money does more to destroy inflation than it does destroy the economy. That what a pure monetarist would argue that yeah. it's the amount of money that matters to create the inflation and its side effects on the economy aren't strong. I think that's um, something that's very out of vogue, out of fashion. Uh, but it's pretty obvious we can get high inflation. How do we get this high inflation? Well, we're printing lots of money. Well, how are we going to get back inflation back to normal? We remove that money from the system. So 2022 has been a difficult year for bondholders. It's also been a difficult year for equity holders, particularly those in long-duration growth assets. I've had a, a really tough year. At the centre of this is inflation, driving rates. Let's talk about then your view on inflation for the next year, year and a half, given that I'm allowing you 18 months because of the lack of maybe the last interest rate coming. What's your view on inflation and 
if you could then finish it with what that means for bonds and potentially other asset classes over that 12 to 18 months? Um, I think um, uh, central banks have signaled they want to get inflation back to target. That's, that's 2%, or 2%, 2% thereabouts. Maybe they were a bit more aggressive pre, pre this event. But they get inflation back towards 2%. They're late starting. Um, you know, They were late starting because they were facing a difficult problem. We didn't know what the public health issues were going to be in 2022. And therefore, they run a, a, you know, an aggressive monetary policy in 2021, probably assuming the worst. Unfortunately, uh, you know, society has reopened. So... What they want to do is they want to get inflation back to target. And in the UK, it's quite interesting. And one thing that has changed from February, uh, if you'd asked me then, I would have said that the government would be not pro-austerity. You know, Boris would continue to want to spend. Uh, you know, they'd continue to want to go down that route. And that's almost, when you think about it, the situation we've got in the UK with the brief mini-budget. Uh, but now that political will has changed whether it be the European governments, the UK government, the European central banks, they're all looking to gain inflation back into control. It is a priority. Yeah. And that gives a central bank permission to do as it is. And I think it will get it down. And you just have the natural things. You have a lag. Now, the oil price in dollars is now back to where it was pre the, the Russian-Ukrainian uh, situation. Uh, and uh, you know we will see the market come back uh, just for a year-on-year effect uh, as the oil price comes down. But secondly, I'm a firm believer that if they do stick to their guns and start destroying the money they printed, by definition, it has to increase its value. And it's very hard to sort of conceptualise, but the value of money going up is the same as inflation going down. Yes. Inflation going up is the same as the value of money going down. Yeah. So it's a very sort of hard thing. I think the simplest way to think about it, it's a very sort of weird way to think about it. Quite often when you look at March, you think of the strangest thing you can do. So imagine if they said, okay, every £10 note's got a zero on it, well, inflation would be enormous. Yeah. They've printed a lot more money. If they said every £10 note's got a zero taken off, it's now a £1 coin. They've destroyed lots of money. So it's one of these things and... Uh, uh, no, they don't do it. But they're not doing it in one go. They're doing it no. slowly. <laughs> they don't do that. Uh, no, certain countries have to do that. Uh, you know, when you're in Zimbabwe, they, they, they do all sorts of things to the coin, using the value and all that kind of thing. Uh, but uh, in the past, not anymore. Uh, but uh, I think, um, you know, that's, that's one of the key things that sat there. And as you right said, inflation coming down is actually not just good. If you think about an income stream, it's not just good for bonds. It's good for a number of asset classes, uh, especially if it means that we don't tie as much as, as we need to because inflation does come down. And then obviously it's a question to look at which asset classes are appropriately priced for these movements, which ones that provide the best risk reward. Uh, and, and that's an area where, where people have to make their asset allocation, what they want to look at in this more like uh, the economy slowing down, but not going into a heavy recession as inflation is solved by monetary phenomena as opposed to an economic phenomena of a recession, then what kind of assets do you want to look at if you believe uh, that is a potential outcome? And then maybe one final uh, extra question. We are lucky enough to work in financial services, savings, asset management, City, do you think broadly everybody's a bit too bearish? 
And you know, everybody I meet, you know, recession is mm. going to be terrible. Is that now the consensus and possibly wrong? Or do you think they're right to be bearish for a 12-month period? Um, it's, it's just matter, the question is, it doesn't matter whether you're right to be bearish or not. It's a question of what the value in the security you're willing to buy and sell is. Yeah. So you can be really bearish, but it's a great time to buy because the price... You're buying it for 80p in the pound is, or 60p in the pound. It's is great. And you can be really bearish and the market is very expensive. You don't want to get it. Well, same with bullish. You can be really bullish, but what are you doing buying it up here? Um, so it really is a valuation uh, view uh, that you have to look through to look at where your view differs from how the income streams and those bonds are priced. And that's what we uh, and the team I work with spend our time thinking through and working through uh, to see where those risk rewards are, you know, on balance more favorable. Uh, and that's what we spend our time doing. But it's, uh, it's as a bond investor, we tend to be naturally quite bearish people. Uh, we tend to avoid credits against difficulty. We tend to be biased that way. Uh, but uh, I think um, whenever you see a, a general consensus, uh, then you should look at the opportunities that that can, that can create. Um, and uh, I think, uh, you know, as you say, there's a general consensus that things are going to be really bad. The only way we get rid of inflation is to have an almighty recession. Well, if that doesn't happen... Things are cheap. Things things are different, and you want to work out way where you want to be invested on that spectrum. Richard, thank you very much for your time this morning. And if you'd like any more information on the MNG corporate bond, the MNG strategic corporate bond, or the MNG optimal income, please do visit fundcaliber.com. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, please don't forget to like and subscribe. Thank you. Please remember, we've been discussing individual companies to bring investing to life for you. It's not a recommendation to buy or sell. The fund may or may not still hold these companies at the time of listening. Elite ratings are based on Fund Calibre's research methodology and are the opinion of Fund Calibre's research team only. 